Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Last week, we're in week three of a series called Living Backwards, and last week, Pastor Jessica, uh, what an exceptional message on, she helped us to see that the unseen spiritual world around us is as real as the world that you're sitting in right now. In fact, they intersect the physical and the spiritual. And she told a story in her message last week. I don't know how many were here to hear the story. Uh, I I laughed most of the way through it. She was having a day. Do you remember that? There was a particular clip in that day I wanted to relive, and so here it is. That's when I go to fill up the water cups, and I realize the water cups weren't washed the day before. They can't go in the dishwasher. They have to be hand-washed. So I'm already angry at my husband because he should have washed the, the water cups. I'm the one... That sacrificed my time to give to these children. I am like in a terrible mood. And so I'm washing these water cups and then I go to fill them up and realize, oh, nobody filled up the water container inside the fridge. So I go, I have to now take the water container, bring it over to the sink, and as I'm filling it up, I am grumbling out loud. And I'm saying things like, doesn't anybody recognize the sacrifices that I make for this family? I'm saying things like, why are my children so ungrateful for everything that we do for them? Amen. I'm even throwing Skip under the bus. Why did Skip not fill up the water last night when he knew that I was going to stay at home with the children? So I was going home, (laughs) and I was thinking, like, I better fill that Brita filter in my fridge. (laughs) And I was feeling for my brother Skip. Like, Skip, I was feeling for you a little bit there. But also at the same time, I was like, buddy, you got to up your game here. So I, I, I bought you a Brita filter, and I just thought, you, you, you need that to, to make sure things run well. And listen, if you're wondering what that, mess, what that story or that illustration had anything to do with uh, the unseen spiritual world, it's worth going back to listen to that message. It was so good. And then in week one, Dr. Van Johnson spoke about heaven and about the upcoming reality that's in front of all of us. It was such a faith-building, such a rich message. But can, you know, as I'm, we're teaching in a series on aging, can we just pause, just pause for a moment, and just marvel at the fact that someone this old <laughs> could do such a great job speaking. I mean, Dr. Van, I mean, it was incredible. It's so inspiring to all of us. All of us who are younger, everyone on uh, watching online, everyone in this room, we're all younger than you. And to watch you walk up on the stage by yourself and to speak with no notes. Someone said to me, look, he speaks with no notes. And I said, listen, if you speak once a year, you can do it with no notes, right? So that's kind of how it goes. But like, fantastic message, little friends. So faith-building, so inspiring. Uh, again, worth your visit to go back there. This whole series, Living Backwards, was kind of, it's been on my heart for a long time to do with our church family. I'll tell you why. 30, or three decades of pastoring, I've watched people. And I've watched two undeniable facts about everybody I've pastored. We're all aging, and we'll all die. 
I've held the hands of people in hospital beds when they pass from this life into a better life. I've watched people with great faith be filled with anxiety and fear as they are ready to take that next step. And listen, I want to tell you, if dying and aging makes you feel awkward and you feel a little anxiety and fear around that, I just want to say today, that's okay. That's okay. Why? Because you've never done it before. <laughs> but I'm hoping that this series, and especially the, couple, the next number of messages that are coming, that it will significantly reduce your anxiety and fear around it. And there will even be elements of anticipation for a greater reality yet to come a greater reality we will get to step into. But I've also watched people age. And I've watched people age, people I've really admired, I've watched them age poorly. I've noticed that we have this tendency as humans to either live in denial of death and aging or to rage against it. See, I, I love artists, and Dylan Thomas is a Welsh poet, and Dylan Thomas wrote a poem for his dad who was at death's door. I love his words because artists say things in ways. Don't they say things in ways, or they paint pictures with notes or music or with colors? They say things in the human experience in ways that make us sit up and listen. He wrote this, uh, uh, these words in this poem. He said, do not go gently into the good night Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. He's talking to his father, ready to die. He's saying, fight it with everything inside of you. That's the human condition. That's, our, that's the human experience with death. We want to fight it. Fight as you may. Death is 100% effective. Except for one person. And we'll celebrate him in the end. And because of what he's done, it's changed our reality too. But here's the interesting thing. There's a, a computational biologist named Andrew Steele, and he presented some data on death, that, a chart that just absolutely fascinated me. Because I think we'll all find ourselves in this story somewhere along the line. In this graph he shared is here's your age and years, and here's the percentage or likelihood of you expiring <laughs> in any given year. And what shocked me about this computational biological uh, data, it comes from developed nations with great healthcare systems, so it's not a global thing, it's more based on countries and nations that have great healthcare systems, but it's such a steep curve when you get to the end. This is what it looks like. At age one, you can notice that there's a significant higher mortality rate. You have a, a half a percent chance of not making your first birthday. And it's because many young babies are, can be born, or some young babies can be born with congenital uh, problems or, or genetic defects or cancer or infections. So there's a, there's a, if you can make it to your first birthday, though, it gets really good until you're 10. Age 10, I love this. They have this thing with age 10. It's 1 in 10,000 chance of not making your 11th birthday. Now, 1 in 10,000 chance it is the best statistical data ever for a human in ever our species history. In fact, scientists say this about 10-year-olds. They are the safest humans in the history of our species. So if you've got a 10-year-old, you know a 10-year-old, why don't you tell them that? You are the safest person in the history of human history. And our species, no one's safer. Don't share this data, though, with them, because they won't be able to contextualize it. Those are great odds, but they're going to just see, what do you mean I'm dying? So don't, don't share that part, but share the safest part. And then it's all downhill from there. 
When you're 18, in fact, when you're 18, you have a 1 in 3,000 chance of not making your 19th birthday. Those are good odds, though. They're still good odds. When you're 36, though, it goes to 1 in 1,000 chance. How many are 36 here today? <laughs> 1 in 1,000. There's still great odds. Here's what happens, though. When you turn 20 to 25, every eight years, your possibility chance of mortality doubles. Every eight years, it doubles. So when you get to be the age of 65, you actually have a 1 in 100 chance or a 1% chance. Still, again, great odds. By the time you're 80, it's a 1 in 20 chance, 5%. By the time you're Dr. Van's age, 90, it's, it's, it's a 1 in 6 chance. <laughs> if you're online, Dr. Van just said he's going to leave right now. <laughs> Do you need help? <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. You know what this teaches us? It should be obvious. Every day matters. Every day matters. Every day is a gift. And again, artists say it so much better. The writer of Psalms, and when you read the Psalms, it's an Old Testament book, it's very poetic because it's written by artists. Artists with words, and they help us see our world and our reality in a way that makes us set up a notice. They say it this way. He says, Lord, make me aware of my end and number of my days, so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you have made my days just inches long. And my lifespan as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor, sila, which means think about this. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them in the end. You collect everything. I remember years ago, uh, Pastor Keith doing a message, and he had a, a Monopoly game out here, and he said, at the end of your life, it all goes back into the box. It all goes back into the box. We're going to touch on dying in the coming weeks, because it's a shared human experience that you cannot share the end with anyone. Someone can sit with you, someone can hold your hand, but you have to take the step by yourself. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of fear and anxiety, but I'm really hoping you'll see that because of what Christ has done, all of a sudden, it's a different reality. Even though there's fear and anxiety around it, you're stepping from this life into your best life. But aging, aging is tricky. Aging is tricky. I think this has been the hardest thing for me as a pastor. I've watched people that I admired, like admired, Admired intellectually, admired socially, admired their, their grit, admired their determination. I've admired their grace. And I've watched them sour and become something so not like who I knew. And it's so disturbing sometimes, jarring. It becomes almost cautionary tale to me and Shelley as we begin to contemplate aging ourselves. They become cautionary tales in our mind. Have you ever heard this statement, though? Because this is where we're going in our message. Aging is inevitable. Growing old is optional. Aging is inevitable. Growing old is optional. I don't know if you know this, but I'm aging. Some of you are saying, well, you got no hair. Well, listen, uh, I can grow hair. It's just migrated. 
down to my back and stuff like that. Like I, you know, which bothers me a lot when I read verses like this. The psalmist say, or says this, the writer of Proverbs, the glory of a, the young is their strength. The gray hair of the experience is the splendor of the old. What's going on here? I don't even get that badge. And then, you know, I'm wearing glasses now. But, you know, all of you wearing glasses, it's a conspiracy. The world is shrinking the fonts. It's not my, it's not my eyes. It's a trick. It's a grand trick. I know, I'm on to you. Have you also noticed how young doctors are getting? And teachers are getting young, and pastors are getting young, and staff are young. When I was young, they were all old. What happened? You're aging, and I'm aging. In fact, uh, Richita, she's our communications team lead at this church. She took a picture of me in high school and put it through an AI filter that shows me what I'll look like when I'm 80. You ready for this? Let's see this. Let's see this. There I am. And that's who I'll be. And someone said, that's not bad. (laughs) It's not great, but it's not bad. But I do want you to know I'm going to grow hair. Like, look at this. It's going to get better at one level. I'll get hair back here. You know, the fact is, this is our life. It's inevitable. Aging is inevitable, but growing old is optional. See, growing old is a decision. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. So I'm going to play a little game because let's see how programmed you really are. Let's give some statements and see if you can fill in the blanks if you can. You know that you're, you, you know that now that you're 50, you've turned 50, you are over the? You go in the chat room, make sure you put those answers in. You're over the what? You're over the hell. Okay, let's go to the next one. You know, now that you've turned 40, you are no spring? You're no spring chicken anymore. Now, if English is not your first language, you're going like, what does that mean? Well, it's English. Go figure. Okay, next one. You can't expect to keep up with the young folks, not at your age. Yeah, not at your age. Okay, last one. Or is it the last one? I don't know. Now that you're 65, you need to be put out to? Put out to pastor. Is there another one or no? Maybe that's it. You know, if you've got all of them, you're programmed. (laughs) You're programmed to believe the lies that we're taught about aging. That aging, which is inevitable, means you need to grow old, which is optional. Growing old is optional. You know, uh, Shelley and I have made us, everywhere we've gone in our ministry, we've been pastoring 32 years, everywhere we've gone, we've always noted people who have old, uh, they've aged gracefully. They've aged in ways that uh, just inspire us because we're taking notes. And there are special people along the way you get to see. This is a woman I pastored in Montreal. Her name was Norma Griffith. And Norma, I've mentioned her to this church community before because she's really unique. We took a lot of notes from Norma. Norma is a unique person. I'll tell you what she's not. She's not cool. She's not hip. She's not not up to date in any way. She's not young. She's in her 90s now. She was in her 80s when, when I pastored her. But I'll tell you what Norma is. Norma's fun. Norma's still in the game. Norma still serves. I remember the Sunday. So Norma, just so you get a picture of her, she wore a skirt and a blouse and a carnigan and and pearls and a hat and a clickable purse, one of those big purses that clicked, you know those snap ones? That's, Norma wore that every Sunday. Hat, pearls, you got the the image. 
So we went to a church that was kind of dying. It was aging out. It was half the size it used to be. It was a lot of older people. And like all churches, they wanted the next generation, they wanted to reach new people, but they didn't want to change anything. Do you see a problem with that formula? But so I, I came in tasked with reinvigorating this church and revitalizing this church and reaching next generations. So that meant change. And so we changed the word. We did a lot of things to change it. And one of the things, when our guest services, they decided, whoever was overseeing it, it wasn't me, someone was overseeing it, decided, let's have our guest services wear T-shirts so that people can see them, bright yellow T-shirts. People will know where, if they're brand new here, how do they know where to go? It's a big church, and where, where will they know to go? So Norma's on the guest services team. So Shelly and I are like, how's Norma going to respond to this? And Because we know how Norma dresses. So in walks Norma on that Sunday with an extra large T-shirt over her cardigan, her pearls, her hat, her skirt, and her blouse, at the door greeting. See, Norma didn't get angry of those things. Norma didn't let those things get in the way of her serving. I remember the day Norma booked a meeting to come see me. I probably shared a little bit of the story with some of you. She booked, because Norma will tell you exactly what she thought. (laughs) <laughs> no filter with Norma. She told you exactly what she thought. She came into my office, booked a meeting, unclicked that big old purse, pulled out a list of everything she didn't like about the church. Since you've come, pastor, that was the, I, knew, I knew I was in for it then. Since you've come, pastor, I don't like the music. I don't like what the kids are wearing on the platform. I don't like the lights. I don't, and she went through a list of all kinds of, I don't, like, I don't like that you don't wear a suit. She went through a whole list of things she didn't like. Then she put it in a purse and clicked it. And I said, is that all, Norma? She said, no. I don't like any of those things, but you better keep them up. I said, Norma, you've lost me. And she said, I love that we're baptizing people again in our church. I love seeing the young people taking leadership roles and serving in this church. I love seeing people come to Jesus for the first time in many years in this church. I don't like it, but I love it, and you better keep it up. And I smiled at her and I said, Norma, why are you even here? Some of your friends have left. And she said, because you need me, Pastor. You need me hugging those young people. You need me praying for them. You need me rolling up my sleeves and serving alongside of them. You need me giving. You need me praying. And she said this. She waves her little finger. She did this sometimes to me. She'd wave her finger at me. She'd go, after all, you're not fishing for 80-year-old women. (laughs) Why is she so uncommon? Like, that's the part Shelley and I would marvel. We'd look at someone like Norma and go, why does she stand out as something extra special and extraordinary? Because most people get old when they age. She was aging, but she was not old. She's feisty, she's fun, she's engaged, she's with it. What's going on? What's different here? Well, she had held on to young mindsets over old mindsets. See, here's what happens often when we age. We get we develop, we become resentful instead of thankful. We, we, we become resentful, and it happens to us naturally as we age because we experience loss in life. And with that becomes an unfairness in life. And what about me in this life? And what, resentful people become unforgiving people. They're proud people often. 
They're easily angered, easily offendable, and they're controlling. But a thankful person is different. A thankful person is content. A thankful person is generous. A thankful person is open-handed. A thankful person is forgiving and compassionate. That's a young mindset that she somehow carried on because she didn't see herself as old. Another thing that happens to us, we've got to be very careful. As you age, you can become brittle. You can become brittle over time. Unmendable, closed, judgmental, stuck in your ways, not resilient. A young mindset, though, is always flexible, adaptive. I'll put that t-shirt on. No big deal. Open, resilient, looking forward in life. An old mindset can become disconnected, isolated, lonely. It's so painful to watch people as they age become more lonely. And it shortens their lifespan. You'll see that in a moment. They become more needy. Constant grief is a, is a low-grade grief in their life because all they see is what they've lost in life as opposed to a connected life. People who are connected in community are comforted people. They're accepting people. They accept people that are very different than them, and they are accepted by other people. See, this is a choice we have. If we don't tend to our souls, hear me here, if you don't tend to your souls and watch the company you keep, you'll get old. Some of you, off script here, need to stop watching some of the YouTube videos you watch that just feed your anger. It's not a good look, and you're aging. Some of you have to watch the company you keep. The people who all they have to say about the next generation, and all these things going on, and all it does is make you older. Be careful, friends. Tend to your souls. Watch the company you keep. Rage, not against death. Rage against getting old. Don't get old in this life. How do you do this? Because you don't want to wake up someday and you're brittle and you're resentful and you're all alone. You don't have to be. Let's talk about how you make those changes. How you can stay thankful and not become resentful. How do you do that? Well, I've watched so many people become resentful and they rob themselves of so much joy and they shrink the people around them because who wants to be around resentful people? They're not really fun to be around. I, I read this book th this last year and I really think, if, listen, if you're over 40, you should read this book, From Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. It's called Finding Success and Happiness and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Your Life. Very good book. In it, he tells a story. He's going to a museum. It's in Taiwan. It's a national Palace Museum. Some of you may have been to it. Lots of beautiful artwork in it, sculptures and everything. And he gets a guide to show him around. And they're standing in front of this incredible jade sculpture. And the guide says to him, this is a great illustration of the difference between Eastern art and Western art. And Arthur Brooks said, well, what's the difference? And he answers his question with a question. He asks him this, what do you think of when you imagine a work of art yet to be started? And Arthur Brooks says, an empty canvas. And he says, exactly. That's because Western, Westerners see art as being created from nothing. In the East, 
We believe that art already exists and our job is simply to remove it, to subtract from it to find the beauty in it. It's, the in, it's not the visible. It's not visible because we add something. It becomes visible because we take something from it. I thought about that. I thought a lot about that. Because in the West, everything is about accumulating things and adding things to your life. And as you age, you lose things in life. And this is why we get resentful. There's a book of the Bible named Job. It's maybe the oldest written book in the Bible. Not the oldest chronologically, but the oldest written book. And it's a book about a man's life that deals with additions and subtractions in his life. And in chapter 1 of Job, he loses everything. He suffers incredible loss. And in verse 21 of that opening chapter, he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return to the womb of the earth. God gives. God takes. God's name is ever blessed. God gives. God takes. God's name is ever blessed. How can he say that? Some of you will read that and you'll even be offended by that statement. What kind of God is that? Well, let's be clear. A lot of the subtractions in our life is not so much that God is taking them from us. We're in a broken and fallen world, and we chose that. Humanity chose that. But there's giving and taking. But what he is recognizing is if I've had, held anything in my hand, it was a gift of grace. God gave it. I came into the world with nothing. I'll leave with nothing. Blessed be his name. I, I watched a documentary this past week on Netflix um, it was, by a 70, it was about a 77-year-old man named Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Anyone know who he is? I was talking to a 20-something-year-old in our church in, uh, this past week, and they said, who's Sylvester Stallone? So I was like, I hate you. <laughs> I just said, Rocky? Oh, yeah, Rocky, Rambo, yeah. In it, he said this, though, because he was reflecting on his life. He said, up until age 40, life is about addition. After age 40, life is about subtraction. A spoiler alert for those in their 20s and 30s. You'll experience loss in life. You'll experience the loss of work. You will experience the loss of a loved one. You'll experience the loss of health, the loss of friends. If you live long enough, the loss of independence. And if you spend your life being surprised with every loss, you'll become resentful. If you spend your life focused on all the losses instead of the things that are still there to be grateful for, you'll become resentful in life. In a few weeks, we're going to have a man in to speak named Aaron Holbrow. I don't know how much of his story he's going to tell of him and his wife, but it's a beautiful story of trusting God amidst loss. And how God has a grace there, hidden behind all that loss. You are going to experience loss in this life. And I guess the human condition is always easier. It's easier not to have had than to have had and to lose, isn't it? But is it better? All of our losses in God's hands can actually become tools. Tools of beautification. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, Oxford scholar, when his wife died, he was devastated. He wrote these words. He said, I'm not sure God wants us to be happy. 
I think he wants us to love and be loved. But we are like children, thinking our toys will make us happy and that the whole world is our nursery. Something must drive us out of that nursery and into the lives of others, and that something is suffering. You know, I lost my dad almost a year ago. And I watched that drive my five siblings and I closer together. It's funny how that is. You wish it didn't take suffering to do that, but we're very distracted people. When I was 22 or 23, I was let go from a church I was pastoring, I was a youth pastor at. I was devastated. It, it hit my ego. My confidence was shook. I, I remember I had just got married. I was embarrassed. I had loss of income. And it drove me deeper into Jesus. And you know the best part of it was? Shelley and I were just married. I had this skill of appearing to be vulnerable, but very closed. And Shelley saw me at my weakest and my worst, and she still loved me. And it created a bond between us that wasn't there before. It made me a better pastor. It made me a better human being. Some of those losses, no one wants to experience them. But sometimes the beauty that comes from them can only be measured backwards. And God does incredible things in broken places. I love that God loves the broken. I love that he loves the marginalized. I love that he loves us in our failures as much as he loves us in our successes. And I love the fact that sometimes he protects us from some of the things that would actually distract us most in life. There's an Estonian proverb that says this, who does not thank for the little will not thank for much. And gratitude is a funny thing. Being thankful is a funny thing. Gratitude or being grateful is a practice and a discipline you take. And when you do that, you, it reveals the fact that everything in life is grace. Everything is a gift. Every day on that curved car, chart that goes up, a gift I have from God. Grace from God. The air that fills my lungs, grace the thoughts that I'm able to put together that some other people find brilliant that they pay you money for, grace. The energy you have to get up in the morning and move that body to go to work to do what you do, grace. A gift from God. You think you're entitled to it. It's a gift. It's a gift. And when you practice gratitude through every step of your life, you won't, I guarantee you will not be resentful. You won't become resentful. You can't be resentful and gracious at the same time. You can't be resentful and thankful at the same time. Practice gratitude, and you will become more beautiful. You'll become more forgiving, more content, and more compassionate. Choose being thankful over being resentful. It's a mindset, and it's a choice. Then the second one is, choose to be flexible, and you won't become brittle. 
Be flexible. You won't become brittle. I drive old cars. I've always driven old cars. I drive a, a 2004 and a 2009. And so because I've driven old cars, I'm thankful we have a couple cars and we're able to have them. That's what a gift that is. But I've noticed something. All the, the parts that are meant to be flexible, the rubber parts and all of that, with time, they become less flexible. Have you ever noticed that? They get brittle. You have to replace them more often. The belts in the car, you know, if you're a mechanic, you know more than I do. These things need to be replaced over time because they become brittle with time. And that's the same with us as we age. We can grow old, and those parts that are meant to be flexible, like your heart, becomes a little harder. The Apostle Paul is a brilliant case study on remaining flexible. You know, the thing why I love Paul so much is you can read his letters. He wrote, he's the most prolific writer in the, in the New Testament, in the, the newer part of the Bible. And when you read his writings, you can Google it, read them chronologically sometime. And you'll see how he matures and changes over time. And you see such a grace in him and a flexibility in him. His theology changes over time. It, it flexes over time. He's, he's not too rigid. He's rigid around Jesus. Nothing, like it's amazing how else he begins to flex. Not just that, he becomes more generous over time, forgiving. Reestablishing his relationship with John Mark that he was never going to do ministry with again, and all of a sudden he's ministering with John Mark again. Why? He softens as he ages. Some people harden as they age. He softens as he ages. His role, how he leads, changes. He was the leader. He was the one planting. He was the front edge of the thing. He was the guy on the platform. And as the end of his ministry, he's the guy mentoring in the background, encouraging younger leaders. He graciously ages with a flexibility that is encouraging. It's hard to be flexible when we age because we like what we like, don't we? We all know 80s music is the best decade of music. <laughs> Amen? Amen. That's right. It's in the Bible. I'm sure it's in the Bible here. And every time something new comes along, it can feel like a series of losses because it's moving us away from the things that we love and the things that we've grown to like in our life. And one of the best ways I've learned to remain flexible as I age is I've tried to elevate the why over the what. Simon Sinek is a great writer and talker, and he, you can Google him. He's, he's got great talks around this. But the why you do something is more important than the what you do. The what you do is not nearly as inspiring as the why you do it. See, uh, what I do is I'm a pastor. But what happens if that ends? More important than what I do. I don't do this because I wanted to be a pastor. It was the last career choice I ever wanted to make. I'm dead serious. I never grow. I meet people that grow and they'll come up to me and say, I've always wanted to be a pastor. And I always want to say, why? Like that, I never wanted to be a pastor. I, I, even when I felt God was moving me towards it, I was like reluctant because there was nothing about that role that ever inspired me. And I was just like, I don't want that. I didn't get into pastoring just to help people, although I like to help people. I certainly didn't get into pastoring to stand on the stage and lead people and not lead change. These are not things that I get up in the morning over. So why do I do what I do? That's more important. The why I do is rooted in the story. The why I pastor is rooted in the gospel. You see, I was a very broken and lost person. And Jesus found me. And he rescued me. 
And I hate to think what man I would be today had he not intersected in my life. Why do I do what I do? Because I want as many people as I can possibly meet in this world to introduce them to the person of Jesus. That's why I do what I do. You're not just a real estate agent. That might be what you do. But you're finding homes for people to raise their families in, to get old in. You're not just a mechanic. That might be what you do. You're providing a way for people to get to their aging parents, to attend a wedding, to, to get to work. You're not just a personal service worker. That might be what you do. You're bringing dignity to people who are vulnerable who have lost and had to surrender their independence, and you're bringing a sense of dignity to them. What a higher calling that is. See, when you elevate the why over the what, you won't follow the money anymore. You won't regret your career decision because it's not as esteemed as others. You've got a bigger why that transcends what you do. You're in this for a different reason. Whys matter. That's why some of the heroes, my greatest heroes, some of them are the seniors at One Church Hill. I'll tell you why, because somehow they've elevated in their minds and hearts the why of church over the what of church. Because I'm pretty positive that the seniors in our church aren't attending here for the music on a Sunday morning. Because I go to their seniors' events and slipped in this last week when they had the Salvation Army band playing and Pastor Stephen was leading them and it was, a, it was a, like... It was an incredible moment, and it was a music from their era and moment, and I know they love that. I'm sure that they don't love maybe how we all dress on a Sunday morning or whatever because it's a different era, different moment, different time. Why they're my heroes, they've elevated the why over the what. The why is our mission and message. This is what we do. The what is, is our methods, and the methods aren't as important as the why. I'm sure that they've endured some of the things we've done and the changes we've done over the years here. But I know it's because they get the why. They want their grandchildren to know, to know Jesus. They want their kids to know Jesus. They want more people to be a part of that. Do you want to remain flexible as you age? If you do, anchor yourself with these thoughts. Know your why. Because no matter what changes in life, nobody can take your why. No one can take your why. And then stay fresh with Jesus. That might be easy to say. There's a song when I was a teenager I heard. I, I think about it every time I'm getting a little rigid. Every time I'm getting a little dry and starting to get a little brittle. And it was by an artist named Keith Green. And he wrote this song. Here's the, the first verse describes how maybe we can feel as we're getting old. He says, my eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. Have you ever felt like that, friends? And then he goes on to say this. What can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with the oil and the wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Some of us, we've gotten a little brittle. And we need to invite a fresh move of the spirit into our lives to soften our hearts with love. You know you're getting brittle when the minors are becoming majors. When you're majoring on minor things. When everything sticks to your soul and you're feeling cranky all the time, you know, you know your heart's becoming hard. 
Soften it up with the oil and the wine. So choose thankfulness over resentfulness. Choose to remain flexible so you won't become brittle. And finally, stay connected so you won't become disconnected. Stay connected. I was in the beaches a few weeks ago with my wife, the South Toronto, and I took a picture of this tree. I love the fall in Canada. It's amazing. If you're watching from somewhere else, be jealous, because the fall in Canada, there's nothing like it. The trees are gorgeous. It's amazing. And I love trees, and trees are a great metaphor for us as humans. And uh, Trees are strong, and it's a perfect metaphor of what we want to be, strong and durable and reliable and solid. And the psalmist, the writer, again, the artist, describes a person who's achieved righteousness in life and describes them this way. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Young, middle-aged, old, always bearing fruit. If you are old, you're going to think bearing fruit is for the young. You need to remember that bearing fruit is every stage of life. Their leaves, say this with me. Whoa, say it like you mean it. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. What an incredible picture of what could be ahead for all of us, those of us who are rooted in, in Christ. But listen, this idea and this imagery falls short in some way because sometimes we see trees and we see them as independent, strong, standing by themselves, dying alone, <laughs> standing alone. And that's not how trees operate. Trees operate in a root system. Every tree is a part of a larger root system. In Utah, there is the, they call it the largest living organism in the world. There's a stand of aspen trees that cover over 106 acres and weigh more than 6 million kilograms. Incredible. They're all connected. And that's like all of us in this room and online. Humans have been designed to have an incredible root system intertwined and connected to the people around them psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in every way connected. And to be isolated is damaging to the natural order of how we've been designed and we've been made. The secret to bearing good fruit as we age is to be hyper-conscious of the root system of the relationships in our life through every stage of life. You see, establishing root systems isn't easy. They wither with time. So if you have friends that are all your own age, you're going to have trouble as you age because that root system is going to wither. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a class on Monday nights. I'll tell you about that in a second. But one of the weeks, we're going to talk about intergenerational connections and friendships. Shelley and I have always practiced with great intentionality friendships from all generations. We've had, always had friends who are older than us. I can't tell you a gift they are to us. When we've been raising kids or even trying to stay married, there's one thing to get married, right? All the married people in the house. There's another thing to stay married. You know how valuable they've been when they've been able to say, hey, Jonathan, don't worry about that. That's, not, that's small stuff. Or your, your kids will get through this. Don't worry about that. And then we've always had friends who are much younger than us. I've noticed our older friends need our vitality, energy, and fun. They feel more alive when they're around us. And also, I've needed our old friends because I feel more stable. 
I feel more at peace when they're around me. But we have friends in their 20s and 30s. They're deep friends of ours. They're friends with us. Your root system matters a lot. In fact, many of you, are, if you're a psychologist or a sociologist, you know of this study. In 1938, Harvard Medical School did a study on men, and they followed them their entire life. And they checked in with them every year to ask them about their habits, their relationships, their appetites, what they were doing, their lifestyles, their happiness, their work. And in this study, at the end of the life of all these men, they, they compiled all the data and they found out that there was one essential ingredient. It had nothing to do with their lifestyle choices, what they ate or working out or smoking or not smoking or anything like that. It came down to relationships. In fact, here's, here's the finding of the study. Happiness is love, full stop. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Your relationships actually determine a lot of how you'll age and whether you will age well. And, you know, if I can just speak just for a moment to the men in the house. Uh, guys, pay attention to this. Statistically, men don't make significant friendships after university, unless they're married. And often their partner introduces them to somebody else, and that's the friendships they have. Men, pay attention, because you could be very lonely if you're not careful. You need to be vulnerable, and you need to be involved to build those relationships. Vulnerable and involved, two things that Busy men don't like doing. I'm, I know there are women that are like that. I'm just saying statistically, men, you're most vulnerable in this sector. So let, let, let's end this talk. It pays to prioritize relationships. It pays to practice gratitude. And it pays to remain flexible, friends. And then you get to age well. My vision for us is that we would be a graceful church that would age incredibly well, making space for every generation. We're not going to rage against death or aging. We're going to rage against getting old. And so we have a number of seminars that I'm going to encourage you to take place of. You've heard about them over the last couple of weeks. On the 19th, our own Pastor Keith is going to lead a session here. It's a lunch and learn. You can register for lunch or anything. Uh, you can register online. Please do it. This is, as a pastor, 30 years of pastoring, I've sat with so many families who are now have lost a loved one, and there are nothing in place, no plans, nothing. And they're sitting there going like, what do we do? And they're devastated, and they got to make all the decisions. Why don't you do that in advance for them? Pastor Keith led our staff in an end of life, how to run funerals and everything. It was the best thing I'd ever heard. All my Bible college years, nothing prepared me for it. He, it was brilliant. And he's going to bring 40 years of experience, and he's going to help all of us design this. It's a great gift to the people you love. And if you have a loved one who is nearing the end of their life, you might want to design it for them in advance. So make that a priority. On the 26th of November, we have some experts from our church who are going to be helping us with a supporting aging loved ones seminar. We're going to talk about dementia and Alzheimer's, the early signs and how to best support them. We're going to talk about long-term health care, how to navigate the system in Toronto, how much does it cost, how do you get involved, how you do that. These are all practical things. We don't like, the, I, aging and death is like sex and money. Nobody wants to talk about it, but everybody's involved in it. 
it's really important we walk towards that and talk about it. And we're going to talk about, and we have another person who's going to talk about staying active as you age. How do you stay active and mobile so you age with greater grace? And then I'm going to invite any of you who would like to come and learn how to age well for five weeks on Monday night, virtually. It's a virtual course. I'm going to be running a course on aging well. You want to know the secret to aging well? Come tomorrow. <laughs> Listen, uh, the worship team's going to come on stage. We're going to do communion here as a, as a community. They're going to sing a song, though, in advance. We're going to sing a song that we sang a little bit earlier, Living Hope. See, this is the, why I can talk about this stuff and have such hope. I have hope because I know this. Because Jesus has entered into death, and death is the only thing in this world that is 100% successful of knocking you out. And Jesus knocked it out. And because of that, we have hope. And we don't face death the same way. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning. So I thought, here's a promised scripture for all of us who are aging in the room. And even if you're young, I'd like you to say this out loud with me. It's found, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in the 46th chapter. He said this. Let's read it out loud together. Even to your old, let's read it out loud together. <laughs> Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who sustains you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will. What a promise. Come what may, God is there. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.